Joining me, he's back again. Jake Trapil is here. Hey, Steve. You guys just can't keep me away. Can't do it. You're you're like our you're like a little little herpy. We love you. We suppress you, but you never leave. Uh yeah. That's it's it's true, man. We love you. And also joining us, uh, I I don't know if he's going to be on mic much, but America's youngest podcaster, Dalton. Oh yeah, he's he's in the vicinity. That's good. Probably if you hear any on the microphone ruckus, later. yeah, if you hear any ruckus, it's because I'm just throwing a bunch of toys at him to keep him distracted. That's good. He's He's got some opinions on Dave Batista that he's going to share today, so I'm excited to hear those. Uh, yeah. <laughs> joining us as well, uh, not America's youngest podcast, no, but a baby, no. a baby nonetheless, Adam Myros. Uh, yes, hello, Steve. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Uh... I'm doing all right. Encased in ice, apparently. Not anymore. It's now it's 50 degrees and everything's it, like by tomorrow you won't even know anything happened. I don't know the fuck's also, going on, it, man. <laughs> it actually was not even ice either. It was this. It was uh, one of the more bizarre storms I've I've ever been through because it was actually a a lightning storm which you don't see in the winter ever. No. And it was not ice. It was like it was snow, but it was. Uh, basically it was like 33 degrees out so the snow was just like super dense and uh it it clung to all the trees and just like cracked them all apart so uh fun stuff that seems to be the case seems like all my friends in michigan don't have trees anymore which is fine fuck trees uh jake any trees fall down for you i know it's been snowing in la too what the fuck is going on how do i live in wisconsin and i get all the 50 degree weather while you guys are stuck in blizzards <laughs> <laughs> no tree fells but yeah i got to experience snowfall in my own home city of los angeles california oh man crazy More like the the city of snow angels am i right <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> i was out on the pavement flailing my arms and legs around it happened while i was at my day job so my boss is like get back to work you idiot oh wow Wow. No chill on that guy. Oh, uh, well, yeah, yeah. This, this is a great episode because you know it's good when we're making uh, dumb jokes and talking about the weather. Those are like the pillars of good podcasting. So I'm glad that I, I mean, can help facilitate that. I mean, it could be that. That, uh, that this weather is the result of uh, Dave Bautista hitting someone with some sort of weird spork or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this could be the end times. This, this could be it. This could be it. Some dumb motherfucker wouldn't like kill his husband. So, uh, yeah, now, now we got fucking snow trees. That's some bullshit. Oh, well. Uh, but yeah, Hey, we're doing something we haven't done in a while. We used to do episodes like this all the time, but it's a, it's a root and toot and spooky horror roundup. And, uh, yeah, we get to talk about knock at the cabin, which I'm kind of excited about. Cause I don't know, man, like, We've discussed this before, the whole like M. Night Shyamalan, like, you know, taking him back and and he got mocked on the Internet a, a decade plus ago. And, and now he's an Internet darling and all the all the film Twitter people and all the letterboxed heads. They say, no, M. Night is, is God. The happening is the greatest film ever made, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I don't think I'm in either camp at this point. I, you know, I'm not a supreme M. Night hater by any stretch. 
I don't know if I'm ready to fully uh, reclaim him as a grand master with everything he creates. However, holy shit, I really fucking like Knock at the Cabin. I think it's probably the best M. Night movie I've seen since, I don't know, Signs, maybe? I, <laughs> maybe if not that old, at least in the last decade. Uh, it's It's just a really tight little thriller. And maybe it's because M. Night Shyamalan, in my mind, he, he works best when he's got just a simple premise that he can kind of play with as opposed to something big and sprawling. And this is about as simple as it gets. It's like, hey, what if the trolley problem was a one-room play, essentially? And uh, there you have Knock at the Cabin. Uh, so, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I was kind of like, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I did go into this thinking like it was going to be some twisteroo bullshit and I was going to fucking hate it. And I was, it was just wasn't the case. Uh, See, you, your description works a little better than mine, which was what if the killing of the sacred deer was super fucking earnest? <laughs> it is. It's such an earnest movie. Like even by the time it ends, you're like, I just want to like, call my friends and tell them I love them. It's, it's so nice. That's the M night way. That's, that's I think his strongest suit at this point. I mean, there were, there were times early in his career, I think particularly in science where you're like, Oh man, this guy is humming. Like he is such a, a gifted technical director. And I, I mm -hmm. get that less and less throughout the years for whatever reason. I think he's uh a lot less showy director than he once was, uh, for better and for worse, probably. But, uh, yeah, this is, uh, it's not like some astoundingly gorgeous movie or anything, but it certainly does its job. No, I don't, I don't know. I think it looks great, honestly. Like, it, considering the fact that he's he's not working with a lot here. <laughs> it's really like, yeah. there's, there's a few exteriors, but the majority of the movie takes place just in a living room. And, uh... He's, he's able to, I don't know, he's, he's able to tease out some real tension. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I think it looks great. Yeah. Smartly made. I love it. I, I can't give him too much credit here on the script because I, I think it was adapted from a, a, a novel or a short story or something. Uh, but I, I love, I love the characters too, because it's like everyone in the movie has, has a foil and they're interrelated and their motives sort of balance each other out. So instead of, you know, just the typical twisty turny, what's going to happen next. Uh, you're kind of watching these, these characters reveal different layers of themselves in front of you and then seeing how uh, they interact with or contrast with the other characters. And it's, it's really fucking smart, you know, just, just the craftsmanship here is uh, pretty, pretty astounding. It's nice to watch something that isn't stupid. It's good when movies are good. Isn't that nice yeah. to watch a good thing every once in a while? Sometimes I forget. Uh, we do this podcast. I forget what a good movie is. <laughs> I, I would agree completely. Um, I think uh, going back to the, the earnestness of his work, I think that's what a lot of people respond to, whether they love or hate him. Um, you know, and I think that it does sort of hurt him when he's writing dialogue. There's just some exchanges in this that are pretty bad, I'll say. Um, like He just has these weird lines that I don't think anybody could pull off, no matter how talented they are. But as far as this being a quote unquote pandemic movie and just shooting it in a limited, uh, uh, like a limited as a limited feature with just a small cast and one location, um, he still, yeah, has a lot of great compositions with his frame um, and keeps everyone like on the edge and everything is just so off kilter. 
like right from the start. And I think uh, Dave Bautista is a real like this is feels like a big step up for him just because he's oh. been relegated to doing a bunch of shitty Marvel movies. But yeah, he's fantastic in this movie. He's, he's amazing. Bautista is fucking good. Uh, I, I think he's, yeah. he's fun in the Marvel movies. Uh, unfortunately, they're Marvel movies. But every role that he's been in, I've enjoyed him. And this is like, God, he's he's fucking shining in this. He is so good. Yeah. And I, I I think, too, he's he's probably the best wrestler actor we've ever had. And maybe the only real wrestler actor. There's something about, you know, when when I see The Rock on screen, like The Rock is fun. He's a great presence. I love The Rock. Don't get me wrong. But you're always like, conscious of the fact that he's the rock and he's conscious of that too so he can't lose himself in a role ever he, he rarely rarely kind of gets outside of his comfort zone i think i think the closest would be like southland tales or something like that uh well yeah but we're a long, long way away from southland tales at this point exactly exactly and and then other yeah. other uh wrestler actors your uh you know jesse ventura you got fucking hulk hogan you got john cena any any of these guys like they're they're fine but it's, it's well, like you just said Hulk Hogan and well, fine in the same sentence, which I, no. I, I but I just I just like hey, the we Hulk all saw Suburban presence. Commando. Yeah, we've seen Suburban Commando. It's 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 fine. Not because he's a good actor, but he's just Hulk Hogan. And that's the thing is like, you know, John Cena's good because it's like, oh, he's in this movie and he's funny. But it's it's funny because he's John Cena. When I see Batista on screen, I don't think about him as Batista, which is impressive. So you also uh, yeah, he's just great. Yeah, and you said that Dwayne The Rock Johnson can't lose himself to into a role. He also can't really lose in any of his movies. He Every one of his dumb action films, he's like always the guy that comes out on top. He's Mr. Invincible. If he was in this movie, he would like punch the apocalypse in the face mm -hmm. and save the day. Batista yep. is like towering, but he projects such an immense vulnerability that is very nicely played up in this film and just the first conversation with him and the little girl is like one of the best things that m night has maybe ever done uh all culminating yeah. in that beautiful shot of batista's giant hand shaking the little girl's hand it's just such a gorgeous little shot it's it's excellent yeah oh, yeah sure. when i when i'm like saying oh this isn't a beautiful film i think that at when it's at the cabin it is it's just I feel like somewhere along the way, you, you think about like signs where they cut that. There's that very famous, you know, news footage thing where they show like the handy cam uh, alien. That's the kind of the reveal. And it's so effective. Whereas here, when it's like, let's cut to some news footage. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what, where did this come from? Like, it, it's just very jarring and, and strange looking. And yeah, I don't know. Batista's TV, they, they only have uh, Newsmax. That's the only available. <laughs> 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 fucking OAN vibes going. Uh, yeah, this is like, it's got the classic M. Night stuff going on. And it, there, where there's this like. Man, this is like 90% of a fucking 10 out of 10 movie. And then mm -hmm. there's this strange stuff that's like, I, I've i come to accept it at this point and just be like, you, you know, it, I'm not making this fucking movie. You just got to roll with his choices. But uh, there are choices that are made. Like, I, I, I don't know that showing a newscast uh, where they're talking about like 700 planes falling out of the sky is really doing anyone any favors with this. Like, you know, mm -hmm. but. yeah, uh, I feel the exact same way. I like, this is 90% absolute fucking masterpiece. And then there's just, 
these little moments, uh, particularly in, in the third act, that I'm just like, God, if if I could have, <laughs> let's give me the opfac cut of this where I make a few small edits. <laughs> I would fucking love this movie more than anything in the world. Like the news footage is a little bit hokey and off kilter and doesn't feel authentic, but it's just like you know what? I can overlook that. Whatever. It's it's fine. I've seen fucking worse and. A lot of movies. Uh, also, it seems like to me, unless you actually get like Anderson Cooper to be in your movie or some shit, movies always struggle with duplicating the look and feel of 24 hour news networks. And I don't know why that is, but yeah, uh, go going back to the, the little things that kind of irked me about this movie that kind of stuck with me. Um, I know that the, the end M night Shyamalan's ending is, is different from the book's ending. And I actually like his ending better. I think it, I think it's a smart move. It, it plays better on the screen in the book. Well, what is the book ending? Uh, the book ending is like, I don't know. I think the girl dies and also like one of the dads accidentally gets shot uh, while he's struggling with the book Batista in the bathroom. Mm. And then the apocalypse happens and it's just like, whatever. <laughs> that, okay. That sounds kind of bad. Yeah, yeah, not not I great. Think my but major I issue see... with this one is this, it's kind of a cop out. Like it feels like once Batista kills himself, then it's the apocalypse. This like yeah. last minute thing of like, well, now you're gonna have a few minutes to make your final call. It's yeah. like, why? Come on, we already said the words like all of humanity has been judged. It's it's over. We've apocalypsed. Either. Mm. They just make them make the decision before Batista kills himself. Well, I don't and, understand and why they made that that's choice. That's why. Like, so, and, and this is where there's just a few small details for me where I think you could have something that probably wouldn't play as well with general audiences and may betray some of M. Knight's uh, natural inclination for uh, optimism and earnestness. But all I could think was, yeah, one, to your point, if Batista kills himself, like, don't, don't give me this, like, you only have a few minutes. Like, let him kill himself. Two, when they go back into town or whatever, I, it, just all this shit where it's just, like, someone calling their spouse and saying, gee, Willikers, I love you. Glad the apocalypse is over. And then the news is just like, and the apocalypsing has stopped apocalypsing. I don't need any of that. Why can't we or, leave it yeah. ambiguous? Why can't we or leave it on that? 700 planes have landed now, guys. <laughs> or yeah. the or the, the hospital's like, we haven't had anyone die here in an hour. It's amazing. Yeah. This is it's that, it's silly. And and you could have left it on that amazing scene. Like the, here's your fucking ending. You already shot it. When they're sitting in the car, the little girl and the dad, and they're they're like going back and forth with the song that's playing on the radio. Mm -hmm. That's your ending. It's great. And then you leave the, is the apocalypse happening or not shit? Make it ambiguous and it's fine. And, and, but, but that ambiguity, it's like, he can't, he can't have it. Same thing with, with any, you know, subtext or symbolism in the movie, you know, right before, uh, there's a, again, beautiful tense scene where they're deciding, okay, like I'm going to sacrifice myself because it's the right thing to do and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you're going to raise our daughter and, and all this. It's, it's, it's really nice. It's beautiful. You know, it, you feel it. But then he's explaining 
why? And he's like, so the four people that came to our cabin, they represent the four horsemen of the apocalypse and blah, blah, blah. blah. It's like, you don't have to tell me that. Just don't stop <laughs> fucking talking. Shut the fuck what up. What are these things they made up about the four horsemen of the apocalypse too? It's like, this yeah, one it's like one of them is knowledge. Grace. The other one is guidance. warm yeah. hugs. Nurturing. <laughs> Like, that's not what the four horsemen of the Bible Only one of them is technically bad. The Rupert Grint's character, he's he's malice. All the other ones are apparently good. Yeah, it's that whole thing, that whole speech. And I and I don't I don't want to do this, Emna. And this is why when I was a younger man, I would just I would just be like, fuck this guy, because something like that would just drive me off the edge. But thankfully, um, I've softened as I've gotten older. And genuinely, I think it's a great movie, but it, he, it just drives me nuts. These little things where I'm like, Oh my God. Cause I could see it. I could see the clear path forward. I'm just like, I just want that thing. But then yeah. I'm a, I, I feel like a dick because it's like, well, I, it doesn't matter what I want. I can't judge a movie for, uh, you know, what exactly. he didn't do, exactly. I guess. Yeah. It's, it's very hard not to go to yourself and go, Oh, well, what if they just, what if he just had the power go out and they had like a battery radio where they were learning a little information as opposed to this garish nonsense cable news thing? Like, what's the point of that? It just takes you out of this beautiful setting you've created. Uh, but again, yeah, you, it's, it's fruitless to do that. It's still a, yeah. a good movie just because he makes choices that confound me doesn't mean I can't appreciate uh, aspects of his work. I also, again, I'm I'm also not one of these people who's out to reclaim everything he's ever done. I think he's he's made bad films and he has yeah. some very flawed instincts as a filmmaker. But uh, this is this is a good one. It's it's very compelling and yeah, I, the performance he pulls out of Bautista is laudable in and of itself. It's just fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you, either you guys see Old? I have not. No, I haven't seen it either. Old is really good. Um, it's got major problems with the ending, like the final 15 minutes almost tor- torpedo it completely. But uh, it's actually quite, quite strong. Um, it's one of his like he I think M. Night's on an upswing with the last couple films he's made. Um, and uh, yeah, old is really good as well. Uh, but yeah, this even even with all the, you know, everything becoming literal at the end. I was still mostly on board, and I think also what drives it is the conflict between the two fathers. Um, because when, when the home invasion happens, one of them is knocked out and gets a concussion, and he's sort of going along with what the four horsemen are saying, and M. Night provides you enough doubt where this could just be, you know, some scam uh, that these guys are putting on, or it could actually be happening, and he uses the concussion as sort of a... Uh, it gives you enough reasonable doubt, and the other father is trying to act rational and explain everything but um yeah i think that's also one of the more interesting elements is just this conflict that this couple has as well mm-hmm. oh for sure for sure and and that's this really like uh, you know this tightrope that he walks the entire film is just this this back and forth and constantly planting this this seed of doubt so you have the overarching trolley questions like oh you're gonna kill a, a member of your family in order to save everyone uh, but then, you know, is it bullshit? Is it not bullshit? And how these characters interact with each other, you, you're just constantly getting pulled back and forth, back and forth, uh, which again is why I, I really would have loved a little more ambiguity, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. But w- what can you do? What can you do? It's it's still a fantastic movie. Uh, it, it, M. Night's operating on a level that 
there's just there's just so much creativity and his movies look great and you can see the passion on screen and it's just nice like you know watching that and then going to see RRR in the theater uh later that night i mean shit if if you're if you're cynical like i am about the state of contemporary cinema uh that'll that'll kind of light a fire under you it makes you feel a lot better cuz those are two movies that just make you go goddamn like you could you can make a a megaplex movie that can just be completely electrifying and compelling still which is which is nice to know so well it's strange cuz this had a preview screening at U of M uh for our department and I don't think I heard a single good thing come out of that. Uh, I I feel like maybe college is like the exact wrong age group for, for M night. Cause I, I feel like that's kind of where I was, you know, in college, it was mm-hmm. like, that's like the peak of you being like, I'm done with this fucking sentimentalist asshole. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like you, you do come back around to it. And it was also, I mean, all of his films, although mind you, they were probably his best crop of ideas uh when i was in high school they were all certainly like super formative but uh yeah the college kids did not have any patience for the old knock at the cabin i could see that i think that's yeah. it. it's just like to to get on his wavelength and just you know embrace his earnestness you either have to be like under 18 or over 30 yeah. <laughs> if you're in your 20s you just fucking hate the guy but but even so i wonder i have to wonder like how much m night negativity is sort of steeped into the turn of the millennium feelings about him where every movie just had to be had to have a twist at the end and then he made like i like i would agree with adam completely that like after earth and last airbender are not good films and i would never think to no. re- find those redeemable at all in his filmography but he's made strong work and i have to wonder if maybe there's the doubters and naysayers are just the people who are I guess it's a fad to not like M. Night, even I don't think they're giving the film an honest shake. Uh, same thing with old. Everyone kind of came out for that one, but nobody could really explain why it was bad or, mm-hmm. or they couldn't they couldn't meet the film at its level and, and like it, interpret anything or think about it with any sort of logic. It's all just they go in with their arms crossed and they they come out the same way and like, well, M. Night wasted two more of my hours. Um, which by the way, this film is only like 93 minutes when the credits hit. So that's another thing he's got working for him is that it is taught. It is, you know, it's, you Mm -hmm. couldn't ask for anything better. Well, he's never been a, he's never been a guy who's out to make intensely long time wasters. That's for sure. He's he's always going to have that in mind. And I think I would go a little step beyond, uh, your rebuke of his like retreat into Hollywood and say, there's a reason he was kind of forced to take that path and that's because his last couple ideas before he decided to like start making big budget for hire work were were bad ideas like the uh the lady in the water is is it not a it's not successful uh it's not at all and there's a i'm I'm not big on the village but i think that's certainly a very redeemable film so i i think Mm -hmm. it's a but there's a point where it was just like, that's what you were doing. And it, everyone just got sick of this fucking shit where it was like, okay, I'm I'm going to pull the rug out at the end and it's going to be this big twist And yeah, I mean, obviously stuff like old, I haven't seen it, but I know that it has something of that nature in it. But uh, yeah, it, it, it when it works, it works and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You, you shouldn't abandon that entirely, but uh 
Yeah, I think he's. Oh, the happening is also in there too. And that. Oh yeah. Uh, well, that's <laughs> and uh, that that movie. It's bizarre because he's he's a director who say what you will about him. He almost always gets fantastic performances out of his leads. Like, you know, if you look at something like signs, like Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix are just incredible in it. Uh, Bruce Willis is incredible in several of his films. And yeah, someone like Bautista and this, uh, and McAvoy and those split movies. Uh, it's just a lot of great, he's a great actor's director, I would say. But then you look at something mm -hmm. like the happening and you're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> What the fuck happened with Mark Wahlberg at this thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's another one though, where I, I feel like I'm still missing something because uh, God, people really go to bat for the happening and I, I, I don't see it, but more power. That too. feels like irony. <laughs> <laughs> I, there, there, there are earnest happening heads out there. You just wait. We're probably gonna get an angry email. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. This, I think this is a, a great, like you said, taut little thriller. If you haven't checked it out yet, or if you're an M Night hater, give it a spin. I, I don't, actually, if you're an M Night hater, it's not going to change your fucking mind. But it's it's a solid movie. Don't be a fucking dick. Uh, give it a chance. Give it a shot. So that gets uh, two big spooky thumbs up. And what else do we have in the spook zone? I'm so glad you asked. There's so many wonderful horror movies out right now. Probably, maybe I don't know. Uh, and we decided to go with something. A little, little off the beaten path here, and this movie is notable for two reasons. One, uh, the internet, Reddit, torrent people are obsessed with finding it, and it, I guess they were everyone was upset that it hadn't leaked yet because uh, people can't bother to spend two ninety nine to sign up on Screenbox to watch it. And uh, also, there's a movie where the director of Skinamarink, recent indie horror darling, he he really went to bat for this one. It's called The Outwaters, released last year. It's a found footage movie and uh, kind of uh, trades in the spooky forest for scary, spooky desert. That's right, Dalton. And if I were to describe my feelings on the movie overall, yeah, it was kind of to be completely honest. I... I don't know, man. I, bad. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> I just feel like every time there's a new found footage darling, I'm running into the same goddamn problems. And this one for me, it doesn't stick the landing. However, I, I think there's some start, good. doesn't start well either. It doesn't honest. start well either. Yeah. There's this little bit right in the middle where I'm like, it, there, there's something there. Like there's a nucleus of an idea. Like there, there's things going on here and it's just the, the structure doesn't help the execution. Well, uh, yeah, there is when, when the film goes full psychedelia at first, you're like, Oh, there's something going on here, but, but don't make a found footage movie. Like what the fuck are we doing with this? Like, I, the thing about found footage is it can be a great tool, but it, it robs you of a lot of narrative possibility because mm -hmm. you're you're making your audience, you're telling them this is what has happened. This is not a dramatic interpretation. This is not psychedelia. This is not occurring within the mind. We have here a memory card that we found that has this exact thing on it. 
So then if you want to take this in like this profoundly abstract psychological direction, it does not fit the format. Like it's completely ruinous to the format. Like it's just like, how am I supposed to like, as a viewer, you are, you, you've broken your, your bond of trust with me, essentially. Like I, I can't look at this as some sort of allegorical journey through this man's mind or something, because it's not. Your whole the setup is no, no, it's it's not. This is a camera we found in the fucking desert, and the police are reviewing the footage. It's like, why the fuck? Why? <laughs> yeah, uh, I I agree the hundred percent. Like again, the ideas are cool here. Some of the visual things are cool. Uh, I I love the idea of the setting for a, a horror film, just because I, I think a lot of times these movies, they, they default to like, Ooh, spooky building or forest. And it's, it's very like claustrophobic in that way. But I love the idea of these like just hot, oppressive, wide open spaces. Like it's, it's a different look. Uh, but yeah, to your point, I, I just, I don't think the format necessarily works for the story. And, uh, uh God, it, it's hard too, because Holy shit, the first 45 minutes of this movie are, it's just like, I don't know, doing, doing goofs in the desert with your buds. They're, they're, <laughs> they're really, they're really dull. I mean, let's, let's say it for what yeah. it is. The, 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 this film is like, imagine the, the, just take the Blair Witch Project, which builds and builds and builds and until like everyone's at their breaking point, then there's the, the scary finale in the cabin and then shit just ends. Um, this would be like if halfway through the Blair Witch, uh, most of the crew died and then it was just one crazy person running around in the dark, rambling and filming with his camera. And at night he's reduced to just using a flashlight. So you're literally staring at a pinhole on the screen for like the remaining 50% of the film. And yeah, it doesn't. And, and the fact that he's still just recording it, recording it, recording it. And there, and we're seeing things that couldn't possibly be recorded. Like these weird time travel flashback memory mm -hmm. freakouts. How the fuck does that work? It it's right. a, it's it's so completely misguided, like almost from the jump. And then yeah, it, yeah. I, it's such it's such a headache to watch too. Like I I was like physically irritated trying to get through the second half of this movie. It it just annoyed me so much. <laughs> it's so weird because it's it's definitely the most interesting stuff in the movie is this sort of like memory tripping, like seeing all these relatives in different places through this weird, you know, blood soaked pinhole aesthetic. And, and you're like, okay, this is something. But it's also you've fucked yourself by, <laughs> by with this framing device because what the fuck am i looking at and why would i be looking at it and how is it possible that the, that this could be recorded footage like why have you done this what, why, what i i could criticize some m night mistakes but my god this is like the most dunderheaded framing device even if you're like all right we're gonna shoot this handheld and we'll present it as this sort of low grade, obviously someone's shooting it. Hey, you know, it's it's like a documentary style, similar to what Skinamarink is. You know, Skinamarink is not found footage, but it's certainly not like presented as a traditional film by any stretch. It's certainly got a, a very distinct sort of a device for the point of view, and you could you could you could almost take the same footage. Well, a 
you don't have to use an actual like pocket flashlight guy. You could you could like get a little bigger beam and, and we could call it a flashlight. We're never going to see the thing, you know, you could cheat a little mm-hmm. so that I could see any fucking thing that's happening. Um, but also you just take away the take away the fucking first 30 seconds of this thing. I don't want to see anything about police or fucking footage like shut the fuck up with that no one it's not benefiting anyone in really any movie at this point in time like we're not it's not 1995 we're not fucking fooled by any of this like it's not there's no point to it it's purposeless and what it does is it sets you in this tiny box that you have to play within because you told your audience that this is existing in this box and this movie doesn't even make any effort to exist in that box. So why build the box? Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I think why build the boxes? That, that's what it comes down to, because found footage, when you choose that format, essentially, you're, you're foregrounding that. <laughs> like You can't get away from it. It's not like you, you watch a traditional narrative movie and you think about how it's a traditional narrative movie, but anytime you watch found footage, it's just foregrounded that way. And then, you know, you're constantly thinking like, okay, it breaks down this wall between the audience and the film so that you're hyper aware of, okay, why are these people filming this? And also, how am I seeing this? And, and just the way it's presented, it, it creates all these bizarre complications. So on one hand, if you're an independent filmmaker, it's like, well, you got a shit camera and no money. Congratulations. What a wonderful format for you. But then you run into all these other issues that the format creates where you're creating barriers for your creativity in a lot of ways. And I appreciate that Robbie Banfitch is he's trying to push this format to its absolute breaking point. However, it breaks pretty early on and the structure yeah. cannot sustain whatever he's trying to do. I don't I don't think he's a bad filmmaker by any stretch. I think this is ambitious. It's just it comes off as misguided. Like if this guy makes another movie, I'll definitely watch it, but fuck, like this is just not does not fucking hit, man. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like this is uh you just look at all the marketing materials and what the thing is. I think it it is the work of a bad filmmaker and the work of a gifted photographer and designer, like someone with a great visual eye and no fucking idea whatsoever how to make a movie because this is not a movie. <laughs> yeah, I I would I would say this is this is just bad, and I'm kind of baffled by uh, everyone falling for it. I guess you could say because yeah, the found footage hurts it, and then also. Like once the gear shift happens halfway through and we get like we see a glimpse of a bloody guy holding an axe, I figured, oh, it's the main guy. He's crazy. He killed everyone. And then I had to sit there and wait 45 minutes for them to basically confirm that uh, it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't lend itself to any sort of like like original thought or creativity. It all just is stuck in its own little uh, schemata that it's made for itself. And yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. like I said, for- formally, it's just. Because, yeah, again, you know, the desert, the, you know, the openness, there's you, you can either die from this mysterious thing happenings or even just the elements will kill you. But that, you know, it, it, it there was potential here and I think it's just squandered completely. Oh, there yep. is like this feels like talk about a movie that you could probably edit into something because there's so many beautiful visuals in it. And 
like all of this is paced wrong. I mean, beyond the fact that it just completely doesn't work uh, due to format choices, etc. But there's it's also like none of this. This stuff all happens far too early into the movie, frankly, like so early that you you really have no sense of like impending dread at all or any idea of of what is really occurring here or or why someone would be losing their sanity or this supernatural elements are occurring or there's just there's nothing leading you there there's no suspense up till that point and there's also not really much characterization i mean there's little things like yeah this singer woman who's a for some reason all over the fucking marketing like that's one of the taglines see what michelle august saw what she's not the fucking main <laughs> character <laughs> like uh I don't know, uh, but yeah, the, uh, she's the only one who you really know much of anything about. Uh, she, her mother has recently died. They're there to film a music video about her. But this, yeah, considering we visit these two brothers, like family home, and the sister comes out with them, like I don't know any fucking thing at all about any of these characters. Not a not a single thing. <laughs> yep, not not really. Well, I mean, they, they Michelle loves her mommy we know that she talks there's a lot of mom talk here this is a movie about moms basically because the two brothers <laughs> that's all we learn about them too it's like they love their mom and michelle loves her mom <laughs> now the one brother doesn't talk to his mom right so oh that's yeah, right and he yeah. doesn't talk to anyone he says like one word throughout the whole fucking movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty much uh yeah i i don't know man it's yeah, it's it's just not it's not anything. I don't know. I I struggle with the found footage stuff. I really do. And this is not this is not the kind of movie that's going to change my mind by any stretch. Well, um, yeah. I, also, I, I don't even fucking like the music either. Sorry, Michelle. I know I know you're out there listening, but I don't I don't need auto tuned lullabies. That doesn't really hit for me. Oh uh, no, no, it's not good music. But I mean, <laughs> the, the the little like thing they do in the desert, banging the rocks and whatnot, and the way that comes back in. It's interesting, but yeah, yeah, this movie has a few interesting ideas and it's also, it's just ruined. Like this is, it's just, there's, I, I see no, I, I, it's hard for me to even like ascribe this to found footage. Like, I don't know what this is. Like this should not be a found footage movie. I, I mean, there's a lot of found footage dreck out there, but there, that's just inherent to the fact that it's a, a very economical way to produce a film. But it's also a vehicle that can be used to create some really, you know, taut, masterful horror. And this is not interested in that. And that's all right. But then that means you're not allowed to use this thing that really its only utility is this objectivity. Like, it, it, that's the thing about found footage is it's it's making it's showing the viewer that this isn't. It's it's telling you lies, but it's telling you lies in a way that is explicitly saying this is not a lie. This this could be something you might witness on your own when you pull out your fucking yeah. Sony handy cam or your your phone or what have you. Like the, it, the utility of the format is objectivity, is a, a universal truth, the illusion of absolute truth, and this movie is so disinterested in that that it is it's just so utterly baffling to me that that he chose to marry this sort of 
visual form with with that format of film. Like it, it's just, mm-hmm. I, I guess you could say a bold experiment, but I would say a complete fucking folly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and to Jake's point too, uh, the pacing here, come on, man. Like nothing happens for 45 minutes and then it's just immediately into fucking psycho mode. <laughs> Like, there's the, I need a little foreplay, a little escalation. I'm not even the biggest Blair Witch head by any stretch. Um, no. <laughs> but, god damn, at least that movie, it, it, it builds to something. And I think that, that kind of level of escalation is, it, it's crucial to successful found footage. And it, it's just, it's not here. It's, it's, everyone's operating at a one and then all of a sudden they're at a fucking eleven. <laughs> that's that's it well that's so, Blair Witch is you know in retrospect you can look at it and go yeah Eduardo Sanchez was a, is a fucking great filmmaker uh mm-hmm. no wonder this works um it, again not my favorite film by any stretch but it's certainly important and it certainly gave you a blueprint of how to use this style of, of filmmaking and narrative but that's because there was really a, a, a super talented filmmaker behind the camera. And this is, again, I, I don't mean to shit on it too much. I mean, I'll shit on the film all day. I don't mean to shit on uh, Robbie Banfitch that much. Cause this, again, there is a lot of beautiful imagery in here and the marketing is slick. And there's just, there's a ton of gorgeous photography and text usage and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it just doesn't feel like the work of someone who's going to go on to make great films for me. Cause it's just such a fundamental misunderstanding of, of narrative potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, found that's right. Dalton. Should, he get it. Really, well, do you want, you want to say something, mister? Dalton, how do you feel about the state of, of American horror? <laughs> it's got nothing to add. <laughs> got nothing to add. It's dead. He says, um, yeah, found footage really should just die. I mean, the the trick worked with Blair Witch because you, the thought was like, oh, these students shot something and now they're dead and nobody can find them. It's like nobody buys that anymore for a second. There is there's no way you tell him, mister. There's no there's no way that, yeah, it works. And then also, even if this didn't have its like weird phantasmagorial freakouts, it, it still would just be a much of a nothing film. Like, I, I just don't want to see some crazy guy running around with a camera in the dark for 45 minutes. It's not, it's just plain not interesting. There's nothing about mm-hmm. this I would recommend. Yeah, I might not be so definitive on found footage because I, I still think it has its place. But its place is not in art film. Its place is in, you know, January teenage films. Like, the paranormal activity stuff lost steam, but even when it was... Like, you know, they make that third one is actually like some outstanding piece of filmmaking. Like it, it is legitimately like it's a tool that can be used for a, a really great, simple, you know, cuddle up to your lady friend and, and get spooked in the theater uh, this sort of thing. Like it, it has great utility because it, it has it, it, an immediate potential to make you identify with what's happening on the screen. And that is a powerful tool. But I, so I, I'm not going to say, let's retire found footage. I'm just going to say, like, it's got to stay in its lane. Like, they, if they put out a, if a Blumhouse found footage movie every February, I wouldn't complain because 
they'd probably just be a, a, a good popcorn munching fun time that's gonna like make me leap out of my seat a couple times and that's great that's what it's there for we're not fooling people into thinking there's a, a crazed murderer on the loose and, and we're seeing the uncut footage anymore that's certainly long gone uh if it ever existed in the first place uh but it's still to me it's it's just like anything else there's a there's a place for it it has a utility and boy it, this is not the place <laughs> <laughs> all right well I, yeah I, I don't know if there's much else to say uh but yeah i i, I don't know maybe i don't know if this is going to sell anybody on a screen box subscription myros that's it's a tough one <laughs> well uh, this is an odd thing to have is like your flagship like you know you open up netflix and the top pick is <laughs> the outwaters uh mind you netflix isn't much better on that front usually it's all really a lot of times no, like who the no. fuck is gonna be watching this i mean to be fair the the top ones when i logged into screenbox is just like outwaters and fear.com those are the two big ones so Jeez, we should just watch that i think terrifier yeah. 2 is up there as well Oh yeah! Oh yeah! There you go. yeah. Terrifier two. There you go. I'm not gonna watch Terrifier two. I'm sorry. It's far too long for me to tolerate. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Well, I think uh, I think that about wraps it up for this. So I guess let's get to putovers. Uh, Myros, what do you put over this week? So uh, gamer god is back, guys. Um, Hell yeah! Uh, I I. Uh, Purchased on sale uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns, which is a uh, turn-based strategy game uh, from the people who made uh, XCOM, and it is, it, it's very M. Night adjacent to me, like, it feels of a piece with Knock at the Cabin in that it is just, it's very fun, but it, there's also, like, something horribly wrong with it at times, where you're like, what the fuck is going on here, but, uh, yeah, it, it is um, very overly earnest uh, screen uh, writing in this thing, and uh, also the visuals. Uh, if you told me this was like a PlayStation 2 game, I'd be like, yep, checks out. Uh, it's ugly, but at a certain point, who the fuck cares? It's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to play, and mm -hmm. the story, while being overly earnest and, and kind of... Uh, cringe filled at times is it's still it's still compelling it's, it's it plays by basic narrative rules that keep you kind of engaged and uh you just kind of want to get to that next turn-based fight and when you get there you're gonna have fun it's it's a good game i would recommend uh particularly when it's uh, running at cheaper prices it's it's something to look into i would say yeah fair enough it's got it's got friendship quests too you gotta you gotta build up your friendships got a little bit of that uh that fire emblem going in it so uh yeah and myros you love a good friendship quest don't you well it's just it's something it's one of those things <laughs> that uh as purposeless as this it seems on paper it is the sort of thing that really kind of keeps the gameplay loop rolling forward where you're like well i'll just knock this out well I'll, maybe i'll knock another battle out and it's kind of spins uh in on itself and keeps you keeps you playing the fucking thing yeah jake what are you putting over this week uh yeah it's a bit of a qualified recommendation uh because it is an anime and uh sorry adam and it's on uh, netflix but it is uh it is horror themed uh, i'm putting over junji ito maniac japanese tales of the macabre 
Junji Ito is a famous uh, Japanese horror manga writer, and uh, 20 of his shorts have been adapted into a 12-episode series on Netflix. It's just sort of a one-and-done thing. Uh, I will say that most of them are duds, but uh, pick around and find uh, there's some good ones in there that are actually really creepy. Uh, I recommend The Hanging Balloons, it's, uh, where what if uh, there was a balloon that had your face on it, and hanging from that balloon was a noose, and the balloon was trying to hang you if you went outside. And soon the sky <laughs> is littered with a bunch of corpses hanging from balloons of their heads. Uh, it's pretty good stuff in there. Um, so another one I would recommend is called Tombtown. Won't say what it's about, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that would be my pick of the week. See, Jake, you underestimate me. Uh... I have watched this. Oh. Uh, wow. Certified anime head. Well. Your thoughts. I didn't much care for it. I mean, there are there are some good episodes, but, but and, and this is where I really get fucking rocks thrown at me. I, I probably didn't like it that much because I've read all of these. <laughs> oh, shit. You're a manga head, too? I, are you, I are not you? A, I'm not a manga head, but I am a Junji Ito head because the guy's fucking incredible. But uh, yeah, I think for me, I I just had a, a hard time with the uh, not not exactly stellar translation of uh, visuals. You know, it was a it's a it's not a pretty series, and his artwork is amazing, and it doesn't really convey that in in the uh, anime form, but. Uh, if you're not familiar with his work, really, it's certainly a good primer. I would say that for sure. Like it's a, it's a interesting stuff. But if you're like a person who's read through the complete works of Junji Ito, and you want to see what they do with them in anime form, you you might be a little disappointed in it. Yeah, I I'm just I'm floored right now, man. We're gonna do that hentai episode eventually, and you're gonna be like, I already got this in my my fucking hentai stash. Uh, you've you've been holding out on us. You're hiding all this shit. I know. I, I think know I've read. I've read Junji Ito and Akira, and that is it. Mm. <laughs> Certified weeb. That's I'm the extent it. of my manga experience. Yeah, and your fucking body pillow with a like a cat girl on it. I know your with shit. With a fucking Uzubaki spiral at it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Exactly. Dalton gets it. Dalton's on on team. Myros is a weeb pervert. Anyways, hey, I'm going to put over some stuff, uh, sort of. <laughs> Might also Go come with qualifiers. I think it, right now, uh, RRR is doing another theatrical run, I guess, ahead of its one Oscar nomination, which is some horse shit. Uh, but if you get a chance, don't watch. If you haven't watched it yet, don't fucking watch it on Netflix if you can see it in a theater. The bigger the screen, the louder the sound system the better your experience is going to be. If you can only watch on Netflix, obviously just watch it that way. You've probably already watched it if you're listening to this podcast, but if you get a chance, don't miss it in a theater. It's 100% worth it. Uh, other thing is, what have I been doing with my free time? Have I been watching some spectacular art house cinema on the Criterion channel? You think that's what I've been doing, Adam Myros? Uh, no, probably not, Steve. No, not at all. Let me tell you what I've been fucking doing. I've been watching a little show on Hulu from 2007, uh, which is the year that I believe reality television show peaked, and we will never reach those highs again. And Dalton, you nailed it, buddy. I have, in fact, been watching Rock of Love with Brett Michaels. 
And I got to tell you, I can't stop watching it. It is some of the most compelling television of all time. And especially like just the, the jarring nature of watching that show compared to what reality dating shows are now. You know, thinking back to the, the last episode of The Bachelor where a, uh, a woman kissed the titular bachelor on the lips uh, like in a hallway 10 minutes before he was supposed to go on a date with another girl. And it's turning into like some multi-episode meltdown scandal because of a single kiss. Now, on Brett Michaels' Rock of Love, uh, there was a threesome and nobody cared. And then also two women were arguing over who got to suck Brett Michaels' dick first because the other girl didn't want like to, to share his dick. <laughs> like that, that was the biggest issue. Everything that happens, like just beat to beat, moment to moment in these episodes on any other reality dating show would be a season long arc of like scandal and, and just, you know, all these, you know, horrific people and look at what they're doing here. It's just treated as normal. It's absolute fucking lunacy. Hmm. Also, uh, I, I think as the show, there's like three seasons as it progresses. I think they, uh, they get slightly more attractive women, but I can tell you this, the first season is wonderful because a good third, half, maybe even three-fourths, depending on your taste, of the women look like they were ran over with like a grain thresher. It, it's wonderful. These are not like your your typical reality TV show dating beauties. Uh, there's women that are like, I'm 31, and they look like they're 90. They're just like disintegrating. Uh, they're all horrible alcoholics. They just blast cigarettes and fucking drink until they projectile vomit all over the place. It is wonderful. If you want to just reinvigorate your life with pure, uncut, wonderful entertainment, Brett Michaels, Rock of Love, season one, streaming on Hulu. Change your life today, Adam so Myros. I mean, it. I feel like I've seen it a couple episodes because we were pretty avid viewers of Flavor of Love. And I, oh, I feel yeah. like it didn't recapture the same magic with this Brett Michaels version. But uh, it's, maybe. A, it's a different kind of magic because, you know, in in Flavor of Love, really Flavor Flav was was driving everything that made it special because you're like, look at this fucking weirdo, insane person who women are trying to sleep with. And he's just like ah! the whole time. And you're like, what the fuck? Why does anyone want to date him? Brett Michaels. It, he's just, he's a disgusting, lecherous creep and a complete idiot. Uh, he looks fucking ridiculous, but it's not about him. Like, he doesn't do anything. Anytime any woman does anything on the show, like someone farts, he's like, I gotta admit, I was a little turned on. Uh, everything, every single thing that a woman does, all he can respond is like, yeah, that's giving me a boner. Like, a girl, like, storms off of the set at one point and just leaves, and then he's just like, yeah, it was kind of hot the way that she told me to go fuck myself and just left the house forever. It, it deranged. It's not about him. On Rock of Love, the stars are these these just I, I don't even know what these women are. They're just they're insane. Uh, and and God bless them because they they don't give a fuck. Like people are on reality TV show now, they're they use it as like a career launch pad. It's a way to get 50,000 Instagram followers. It's a way to like build your personal brand and like sell tea to housewives who need to like take a shit to lose weight in 2007 
this was like the mark of Cain, man. You didn't want to be on reality TV. It was considered like career ruining. And these people are all out to like ruin their lives. I think on season one, probably, I think at least four or five of the 10 contestants ended up like doing porn. It, it's great. Like th this is, it's the highest caliber of trash that you can consume. Uh, I think I've, I've passed that stage of my life, Steve, but uh, I'm, no, thank you. I'm watch sure the audience the is, first is, episode, watch that first episode bios and tell me it's not beautiful. It's, it's 30 minutes of your life. You can do it. I, I can. Will I? No, give me the name not. of the show again, Steve. It's uh rock of love with Brett Michaels. Like the Brett original, Michaels. or is there a new? Is there a new one? Oh no, this is two two thousand seven. The original. I, I I'd like to see a new one now because he's he's like a washed up piece of shit in this movie in two thousand seven or this series in two thousand seven, and now he's like sixty, so <laughs> it'd be even better. Just a bunch of twenty three year old women fawning over Brett Michaels. That's what we need. Uh, but yeah, I highly highly recommend it. So, uh, if you if you like reality TV, fucking step your game up. Uh, yeah, I think that about covers it. Uh, did I sell anyone on M. Night Shyamalan today? No. Did I sell anyone in the Outwaters? Absolutely not. But I hope you have a, a prosperous Brett Michaels-filled week if you're listening right now. And also, if you're listening, why don't you do us a solid? If you, if you look in the description of the podcast, you'll see a link, and that link will take you directly to our Patreon. And what can you do on our Patreon? It's a great question. You can give us money. Why would you give us money? Well, podcasting costs money. We got to like pay for shit, you know, you fucking help us out here. And uh, it's not like you're just giving us money for nothing. If you give us any amount at all and you live in the continental United States, I will send you a movie from my personal collection. Maybe I will go out of my way to buy Rock of Love on DVD just so I can send it to you and fucking Brett Michaels pill, you motherfuckers, because that's what you need in your life right now. Who knows? You don't know. It's a surprise. How exciting is that for you in your life? It's probably pretty exciting. Now, if you donate at a higher tier, uh, you get a little couple extra perks, you know? Uh, you're not only going to have access to this huge back catalog of uh, Optimism Vaccine content from years past and exclusive Patreon stuff, but you will also get to vote in the occasional uh, patron poll, and, and you get your name read out on the air if you donate at least $5. And Myros, who are our five and above people right now? Uh, we have Hoofy Hoof, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, and now, let's say you want to really step your game up. And you, you say, you know what? These Optimism Vaccine guys, I, I really want them to do something in particular. Or maybe maybe you hate Adam Myros. Or maybe you like to, to cause him pain. And you want to make him watch something that would hurt him emotionally. You can do that. All you have to do is spend $25. Now, if you're at that $25 tier, I will tell you, 25 bucks, you get your uh, you get your your selection. And then if you want to drop down to a lower tier after that, that's that's fine. $25 a month is that's a lot of shit, man. Uh, that's a lot of money. And I know not everybody has that kind of money, but we appreciate you if you do. Anyways, if you donate $25, you get to dictate a whole episode. Whatever you want, whatever the subject is, you want hentai, Adam Myers would love to watch some hentai. Uh, if you want something else, that's fine too. Uh, I just got word from a patron that they might do $25 for a month because 
They are deeply interested in us watching uh, the original Dungeons and Dragons movie. So obviously there was the one with, with was it Marlon Wayans? Damon Wayans? Jeremy Irons? Yeah, and Jeremy Irons. But did you know, Adam Myros, that there were two sequels to that movie that came out? Uh, no, I did not know that. Thing. I, I did not know that either. And apparently someone wants to pay $25 to make us realize why we didn't know that. So... Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, Dalton, you can't even <laughs> legally work. What are you gonna pay, huh? I don't. I don't take shit-filled diapers for Patreon payments, Dalton. I'm sorry. I shouldn't talk to him like that. He is America's youngest podcaster. Uh, but yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dalton. Don't cry. God, he's so sensitive. Real snowflake. Uh, yeah. Anyways, if you enjoyed the episode, awesome. Donate to the Patreon, please. If you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, uh, Dalton's looking for some new diaper rash cream. You got Rex for that. We'd love to hear for it from you. Uh, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine. Uh, Dalton is standing by, hit and refresh on the Twitter, on the Gmail inbox, and, and he will reply to you. Can Dalton type? We don't know, but uh, our boy can bang a keyboard, can he not? He can. Yeah. Uh, all right. I think that pretty much wraps everything up. So Jake, last words, yours. I defer to Dalton. <laughs> <laughs>